That's funny. I saw that. Hey, welcome to Port Good Church, Arlington. Um, we're going to be in Philippians today, chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, you can open up there. If you need a Bible, there's one in the back. You can get up and grab one anytime that you need it. My name's Jason. It's my privilege to welcome you and to be with you this morning as we open up God's Word. So come with expectation. Um, approach, regardless of whether you are a believer or not. And I know that Pastor Johnny Reeve wanted to make you feel welcome, but we mean that. Um, You are not going to know God on your own. You need to pursue him with his people as he he gives himself to you through his word. And so our encouragement as we come together, and it's the same for us as believers, um, that we're receiving from his word. Uh, We are part of a network called the Acts 29 Network. I think you know that. Uh, We've been a part of it since we we began, since we were planted as a church. Uh, The Acts 29 Church Network, Church Planting Network, is a diverse global family of church planting churches. That's who they are. That's who we are. We were planted out of Portico Church in Charlottesville. We have planted churches. We're getting ready to do that again. We believe the gospel just moves forward best when new churches are planted. So we're a part of that. The reason I tell you that is because this week, all of the pastors' wives are going down to Orlando, Florida, because it's nice and cool down there. Um, No, we're going down there because Acts 29 has their global gathering. This happens every two years. There are close to 13 or 1,400 people that will be in attendance, Uh, 45 countries represented in this global gathering. Um, We get to worship together. We get some teaching together. We get to hear from our leadership, who we appreciate so much. Um, We're upwards of close to 800 churches, not just in North America, but worldwide now. So I'm asking you, as Portico Church, would you cover us in prayer, your pastors, your pastors' wives, as we go down there? Would you cover us in prayer and also pray for the leadership of Acts 29? Pray for just God to move during that time and to charge us up and fill us up with his will. So, that. Um, Beyond that, as we prepare to open the word today, I'm going to ask you a question. Who are you following? Who do you follow? What does that question mean to you? Who do you follow? Like, I know you don't follow me on Facebook. Maybe you do. Do you you follow? when, When we say that, hey, who do you follow? Here's what that term means today. Whose Instagram feed do you follow? Snapchat, is even is that even around anymore? Facebook, um, maybe you follow a podcast. There's people that you follow. And what does that mean in real terms? It means that you're giving them access to your life several times a day. In fact, in an ongoing fashion. And so what's your expectation as you follow? I follow people, right? This is not about telling you not to do that. Um, in fact, companies know it's so prolific that they hire people as social media influencers to get you to buy things. And it works, right? We know that it works. Think about how many times you have access or they have access to you. This is built into you. I'm just going to tell you this. The expression of social media of you following people, that seems new, but it's not. You are built to be a follower. You are built to both be influenced and be an influencer, It's what it means to be alive, 
right? We are, we are image bearers of a Trinitarian God, meaning that Father, Son, Holy Spirit exist, one God, eternal community. So as an image bearer, that seems normal to you, that you would be influenced by other people's lives and also be an influencer. So as we open this text today, it's very clear that the success of God's people depends on this, on this one thing, that you're influenced. That the stories that are working out in this room are actually influencing you directly, and you become an investor or an influencer in the stories of those people around you. This dynamic is normal. It is good. It is something that we're not comfortable with. We're comfortable following on social media where there's actually just a huge barrier. There's no real connection. But how does that work itself out in this room, in our community? It's critical and it's key. You're meant to imitate people. It's how, it's how we learn. It's how we learn. It's not just information. If you never walk that out, if you never learn to imitate, we just never get there. And that happens with faith, too. Faith always should imitate faithfulness. Always. This is how I learned to grow in faith. It wasn't just reading the Bible. It wasn't just doing a Bible study or, or sitting down in a coffee house with a discipleship group. Those are good things, necessary things. But faith always imitates faithfulness. And so we, we, need, we need to learn how to do that. We need to understand that dynamic. So as we jump into the text today, know that's where it's going to go. And let this question ring through your head. Whose faith are you imitating? Think about that for a minute. In this body. I'm not talking about on your podcast. I'm not, no, here. Whose faith are you imitating? And maybe here's a more terrifying question. Who's imitating your faith? Somebody is. It might be me. It should be me. So whose faith here are you imitating and who's imitating your faith? Watch what happens. This is chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. This is in Philippians. Let me read it to you. It says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow." I am all the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we come forward today. We come forward to you. Just as we sing together this morning, I'm reminded how dependent on, on people in this room I am. 
and how good that is, Lord. Lord, we are dependent on you. We depend on your word. And so as we come forward today to you, we ask this, that you would open up this word, that we might behold its beauty and its treasure, and that you would not withhold your power, God, but you would pour it out on us, God, your presence even in the Holy Spirit, that way we might know you and love you and serve you and enjoy you. So we pray this for this time in the name of Christ. Amen. So what's going on? Let me just kind of give you the setting here so that we can kind of learn from it together. It's, it's a little strange. This is kind of a weird travel log that seems inserted into a letter to the church in Philippi because it is. It's, it, the placing of it is strange. There's a reason for you. So let me just kind of brief you on what's happening. Remember, Paul, the Apostle Paul is incarcerated in Rome. About 10 years earlier, he had gone through Macedonia and he'd baptized a few people there in the the area of Philippi and a church started. Uh, Timothy was with him. He had picked up Timothy along the way, I think, in Lystra. And Timothy was kind of his cohort. And and Timothy's now probably with him or is with him in Rome, kind of taking care of him. Because in a Roman prison, they really wouldn't feed you or take care of you. You had to take... Other people had to come do that for you. So... Um, they're up there. The church in the Philippi is having some issues. There's a bit of a crisis of faith. We don't exactly know what's going on, but we know there's a dynamic that feels like this. Hey, if it's this hard to follow Jesus, I really don't know if it's worth it. We need to go get Paul. This is 10 years later. So we're going to send Epaphroditus, probably with some people with him. We're going to send a financial gift to Paul because we love him and we support his ministry. And he's in need in jail at this point in time. And we're going to probably ask him, as the text indicates, hey, give us Timothy. We know Timothy. We've seen you guys for two or three times come back through here. You strengthen our faith. There's both external pressure and internal conflict. We need help now. So, hey, this will work out. We'll send you Epaphroditus. You send us back Timothy. It's like a trade. This is what is expected of them so that they get some help. Well, what happens is Epaphroditus almost dies. Um, He gets deathly ill, either on his way to Rome or in Rome. He gets there, though. And Paul does not release Timothy. He's like, no, I need him here. But he sends Epaphroditus back for several reasons. One, because they know he's sick. Probably one of his traveling companions rolled back to Philippi and said, hey, Epaphroditus is probably going to die. So they're anxious about that. But Paul sends Epaphroditus back with absolute full honor. So that's what's happening. But why? It's just weird, I'm going to be honest. We remember, Paul has set up Jesus, his humiliation and his exaltation as not only our salvation, but our paradigm for life. And even last week, we saw that Paul poured his life out like a drink offering, emptied himself to death, presumably for the faith of the Philippian church. He's showing them what it looks like. He's showing them through both Timothy and Epaphroditus what it looks like when salvation is being worked out into your life in real time. So he uses this opportunity to say, like Timothy, like Epaphroditus, let me tell you why I'm sending Epaphroditus back and he's good enough. Let me tell you a little bit about my relationship with Timothy and why he's going 
to stay. So these are like illustrations given by the Apostle Paul, given by God to us through his hand to say, this is practically what it looks like to walk in faith. We need this. I'm I'm convinced that 80% of learning something is just doing it, watching somebody and just imitating them. That's how kids learn. That's how we learn even technical things. Yes, the knowledge and the information is necessary and foundational, but you won't learn it until you learn to walk in it, and you're going to do that as you imitate. Same with faith. Faith imitates faithfulness. Let's see these as practical examples of what that looks like. And, And at the end of the day, too, the Apostle Paul knows this. He experienced grace at the hands of people. When he first met Christ... He was so disoriented, and the church picked him up, and Ananias prayed for him and got him on his way. So he knows how practical this is. So faith imitates faithfulness. So I think there's three ways the text show this, and I'm just going to throw this out here right now so you can follow me. So we're going to, I want to show you, or let the text show us what faithfulness is so that we know how to both imitate those who are faithful, and we know how to have those other people imitate us. We want to see this dynamic happen. So faith imitates faithfulness. One in this way. Faithfulness lives like family. You see this as family terminology. He's a son. He's a brother. These are not associates. So faithfulness lives like family. It also loves like Jesus. And it also depends on Jesus. In real time. Not just in story. You depend on Jesus in real time to see faith imitating faithfulness. So let's walk through this. First, faithfulness lives like family. That's got to happen. So what do the relationships in this room feel like to you? Can I ask you that? What do they feel like? Now, no, dude, you're not going to have deep, intimate relationships with everybody in this room. That is not what it means. That is not practical. But what do the relationships you have in this room feel like? Do they feel like family? Or do they feel like the rest of the D.C. metro area, connections, where I get what I need? Does it feel like family? So living like family as a church, this is what the New Testament explains a church as, takes this life-on-life commitment. We have to do this life-on-life. Verse 22, but you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he served with me in the gospel. So the apostle Paul didn't have apprentices. He didn't have residents. He didn't have people that were just learning under him. He had spiritual sons and daughters and sisters and brothers that would roll with him and watch how he did this. And Timothy was probably the best example of this. See, Paul committed himself to Timothy. And honestly, Timothy was the worst person to choose. Paul's on one of his missionary journeys, probably his second. He's up going through Greece because the Spirit of God pushes him out of Asia into Macedonia. He comes into Lystra uh, where where Timothy is and he he hears the gospel and responds. And and Timothy's young, probably high teens. Just going to tell you that maybe low 20s. And Timothy is not your type A leader. He was raised pretty much by his grandma and his mom. Some people will say he had kind of had the, the dynamic of a mama's boy. He was very timid. Um, but Paul sees promise in him and commits to him and says, I'm going to take Timothy with me. He's going to go with me. 
And so he does. Timothy responds, and he, he rolls with him. He traveled with him. As I'm reading this, and this is in Acts 16, there's got to be better. There's got to be somebody better than Timothy for Paul's mission. There's got to be. But Paul chooses him, and then Paul travels with him. And here's the key. Paul gives him authority. He lets him make mistakes. He teaches him in real time. Oh, no, you face off that person. You tell him. That's false doctrine. In his face. Toughen up. You can do this, Timothy. He gives him letter after letter. And we see that Timothy ends up going to Corinth. Then he ends up pastoring in Ephesus. And I wouldn't do that. I'm just telling you. In the first century, ancient Near East, these were the worst places. The gospel took ground there almost by just... It was miraculous. And the Corinthian church was an absolute mess. There was incest. There was craziness going on. And Timothy's there. And Paul had raised him up, life on life, commitment. And he invested in him. Verse 25 says, um, hey, I have thought it necessary. Well, before I get there, side note. I'm one of the oldest people in this church. This may shock you. One thing we can learn from this that is by implication, hey, don't let your age determine your maturity. Can I just say that for a minute? We have some powerful, gifted, wonderful, spirit-filled believers in this room who are decades from where I'm at, age-wise. Do not let your age or your station in life tell you how mature you're going to be. Push into it. Push into the opportunities God has given to you. Push into the relationships, both up, right, to imitate and down to be an influencer. Do that. Um, do that. Respond like Timothy did. So um, faithfulness is, is living like family, but it's also investment. Listen to how Epaphroditus is, is in, instructed here. Verse 25, I've thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus Qualification, my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. They sent him to love on Paul, to help him, and yes, to relieve Timothy so they could have him. But the language here is so important. Um, Before we understand this next point of what it means to be invested in people's lives, let me just ask you this. What has stressed you out this week? What stressed you out? Don't actually answer me. I don't want to. I'm just kidding. I do care. Think about what has stressed you out. Can I tell you what has stressed me out? Travel plans coming up. Me not getting enough rest. Um, My baseball team is just really struggling to get where they need to get. It's like it's 100 degrees outside and it's 9 o'clock. These are the things that stress me out. Look what stresses out this. Look what stresses out these people. This is beautiful. This is investment. Verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. He's responding to their letter. Yes, I'll send. I want to send him. So that I too may be cheered of news of you. Paul wants them to have Timothy. But he also wants. He actually wants to be cheered up by getting a report from Timothy. Not just Epaphroditus. He wants to hear how they're doing. He's emotionally invested in them. Verse 26, for he, that's Epaphroditus, has been longing for you all to go back to Philippi and has been distressed because you 
you heard that he was ill. So Epaphroditus is all wrapped up that the church at Philippi that sent him knows that he thinks he's dead. And he wants to get back there so he can say, I'm not dead. And it's, he's distressed. That word means depression and anxious. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he says, I was, I was, I was sorrowful and my soul's in trouble. It's deep distress. He's emotionally invested in this church, in his family. And verse 28, Paul, I am all the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice, they're emotionally invested, as seeing him again, and that I might be less anxious. Paul's wringing his hands, not over the fact that he's probably going to die in jail. He's wringing his hands over the fact that the Philippian church wants to, they need some help, and he's trying to do the best he can, and he wants them to settle down because Epaphroditus is, in fact, alive. That's what stresses you out when your faithfulness draws you to live like a family and not a bunch of associates or people that come together on Sunday. This is why scripture can say with confidence, God is calling to himself people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and they will come. People of different ages, different genders, different experiences in life, they will come and respond to the gospel. Let us live like a family. That's that's first. If you're going to see faith, imitate faithfulness, we have got to live as a family. So whose faith are you imitating and who's imitating your faith? Um, I came to Christ as a teenager, and it was, it was a rocky road. I'll just tell you that. I was so upset by it that I went home, and for weeks I would read the Bible, and I would try to learn what to do to stay a Christian. And I, I would thought, should I cast out? Do you, I mean, what am I supposed to do? Because I was trying to do everything that I read in the, in, in the Gospels, and I was exhausted. And then one of the guys who led me to Christ, Henry Herrera, um, he was just like, calm, you need to calm down. Like, just do what I'm doing. And he wasn't, he was the most humble guy that I've ever met in my life. And my youth pastor is, I don't know if I'd call him humble. Is a youth pastor ever humble? I don't know. I think that's against the job description. But he was, and like, man, they're just calm down. Go with me. I'm going to go see this kid. Let's go. And so I watched, and I watched him, and I watched how faith was worked out in his life. And I started to exhale, and I started to go, oh, Okay, so, all right. And so you have got to have that dynamic in your life, some way, shape, or fashion. Secondly, if it lives like a family, how does it love? It loves like Jesus, getting harder. Um, anytime you ask me, and I know that you guys, some of you do ask me this, you say, hey, how's life going? What do I say a lot of times? Life is what? What do you say? Oh, well, life is busy. Probably just another form of grumbling, right? See last week's sermon. It's probably just another way of saying, oh, I don't know, I don't know. But that's what I say. That's what you say. Life is busy. Let me tell you this. This is going to take more time than you have. Hear this. You are not special. You know how many hours in a day I have? I am not special. Exactly 24 you know how many hours you have? Exactly 24. Every one of us has 24 hours a day. So as we look at what it takes to, to be an influencer and to be influenced in faith, you can say, I don't really have time for that. You don't have a time problem. I'm going to tell you that to your face. You have a priority problem, period. Now, there will be seasons where your time is compressed. We get that. We don't even need to tell that to people. We all live in the same world. 
So lack of time is not the problem. Listen, faithfulness loves like Jesus, and here's what that means. People are your priority. Not you people, other people. Um, Verse 20. For I have no one like Timothy who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For everybody else is seeking their own interests, but Timothy, he seeks the interests of Christ. He runs on the agenda of Christ. Nobody else really does that. So faithfulness loves like Jesus. Very simply, that's what it looks like. Hey, does Jesus have veto power on your agenda? Can I just ask you that? We have a lot of type A planners in here. I'm one of them. And yes, the Spirit of God actually can work through planning. That's okay. Can we say that? So being Spirit-led just doesn't mean you don't plan. The Spirit of God can lead you through planning. It's a good thing. Jesus, does he get veto on your plan? Does he get to wipe that and say, no, we're doing this. Your priority is this person right now, but I didn't plan that. I don't care. He's my priority. Make him your priority. This, this, is, this is the interest of Jesus, right? His, his interests are people. Um, how do we do that? Well, here's a few ways. Pursue people. Well, I can't pursue everybody. No, you can't. Try one. Plan your margins. Schedule margins into your life. That's why we're busy. You don't do that. And it's dumb. Jesus actually scheduled margins into his life. He would hang out with the crowds and with his, with his posse, and then he'd just get out and go by himself. And be flexible. Be flexible. Epaphroditus, right? Oh, I'm going to go to Rome now. I'm, I'm going to take this to Paul. And follow through. That's, that's key to loving like Jesus. Verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, meaning he's done it. He responded to my call in his life. He's tested. He's tried. He's confirmed. He showed himself worthy. Um, Yeah, so follow through is so much a part of simple faithfulness. Faith imitates faithfulness. Faithfulness loves like Jesus. Faithfulness lives like a family. Um, Whose faith are you imitating? Who are you looking to and who's looking to your face? Um, you know that we have a partner church in India, Hyderabad, India, uh, Bethel Gospel Church. I get to see Pastor Sadakar at the Global Gathering in Florida. Yay me. Love that guy. I mean, he talk about influencer. This man influences my faith, right? I, imit- I just do what he does. I eat Indian food now because he does. <laughs> I actually love it. But I just do what he does. Um, if you got to come to our India outreach night, you heard Mary Priscilla, his daughter, talking about their orphan outreach. And one of the, the women that you know, her name is Mega, and she's, she's older now. She's 20. She still is at the church. Um, she's a fantastic person. Um, and she was telling the story because I think somebody asked, well, tell, give us an example of how this works out with orphans that start like it tiny and then stay, stay on and how their life changes in the gospel. And so she gave an example of her, and she said, yeah, you know what? Mary Priscilla said, I was asking one of the little girls, one of the nine-year-old girls, because we're trying to prep them to like how to follow people and to imitate other people's faith. And she said, well, hey, how, who do you want to be like when you grow up? And this girl said, I want to be mega. She said, no, no, who do you want to be like? You can't be mega. She's like, I want to be mega. 
This was like not a cult of personality. She's like, no, who do you want to be like? Who? I want to be mega. She said she loves Jesus. She's smart. She always takes care of us. She loves like Jesus does. Like, I want to be her. It's like, that's how family works. That's how influencing works in the body of Christ. This little girl saw it, and she got it. Um, listen, when Jesus is glorious, faithfulness and humility are really attractive. And people in your body that are humble and faithful will start to build a posse. When Jesus isn't glorious, it just doesn't happen. Um, yeah, and I, I remember even one of our team members was taking pictures, like because they all get pictures during um, when we go out there of themselves, and, but they all wanted to be with Mega. Like, I want a picture with Mega. She loves like Jesus. Thirdly, faithfulness depends on Jesus. I'm just going to throw a question out here. If you haven't asked it, then you're silly. Do you have time for this? We kind of covered that, but I'm just going to ask it again. Hey, how about this? Do you have energy for this? Do you have the capacity to have people imitate your faith and imitate other people's faith? Do you really have the energy to live like family and to love like Jesus? Isn't this just a bunch of aspirational stuff that we really aren't going to do? Do you have time for that? Here's what I had to ask myself. If God wasn't real, would my life change? Am I actually actively depending on the grace of God to live? So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Take action. Take action as though Jesus himself is fully invested in the outcome of your life. The minutia, all of it. This is why Paul can say with confidence, hey, even though I'm probably going to die in jail... I am absolutely convinced this is going to serve to the advance of the gospel in my life and even in Rome and in this church, everywhere. If we understand the gospel correctly, if we understand the love of God correctly, we know this, that God is invested in the outcome of your life. So you can take action knowing that his commitment to you and his plan and purpose for your life is not going to waver. I don't really know that Paul made it back to Philippi. But he said, I hope to go and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. He had plans. He submitted them to the Lord. He learned to depend on the Lord. And you have to take action until you feel it. You, if you've ever worked out, you know that the first couple of weeks are awful. Your muscles are killing you. Your tendons hurt so bad. And if you pull back, nothing happens. You need to take action, not only as, as God is committed to you in Christ, but you have to feel it. If you're not responding in obedience to the word of God to live like this, to the point that it hurts, you're not going to see the grace of God in your life working that way. You just won't. Um, the power and the glory of the cross is evident when you, when many times when it feels like it's impossible. And what God is asking us to do in our context feels impossible. Listen, Paul wrote another letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy, and it was basically the, his last letter. It was the end of his life. Everybody left Paul. <laughs> Everybody. 
everybody left him, and he was worried Timothy was going to bail too. He says in 2 Timothy 1, Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as a prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God, by the power of God, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his purpose and his grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages. In other words, hey, Timothy, don't forget how God delivered us. Do you remember that time when I got thrown in jail in Philippi, me and Silas, and you were there? Do you remember that time? Do you remember how God delivered us? Do not forget that. That. Suffer for the gospel, but do it depending on the power of God actively. Do it depending on the power of God actively. You've got to have to feel it. You have to trust that the Lord's going to give you what you need. So following Jesus is not just about having a better feed. Well, I'm going to follow Jesus, so I'm going to know the good things to do in life. You're going to get that out of the Bible. It's not enough. You need a Savior. You need someone who will go chase you down. You need somebody whose relationship produces a comfort that is so real that you will just not be motivated by serving yourself anymore. That doesn't come by just emulation. You need to submit and repent and receive the gift that Christ has for you, that he's earned for you, and that he's won for you. You have to, or this is out of your ballpark. You're never going to be able to live like this, right? You need more than advice and examples. You need Christ. So faith imitates faithfulness. Who are you following? Do you have somebody in mind? Forget about that. Who's following you? who's imitating you. So a couple things I'll ask as we'll close. And man, it's hot. Um, Hey, think extended family here. Again, how do we we obey this in the power of Christ? Pursue. Pursue somebody. One person. Just do it. It's awkward. I don't care. It's always awkward. We're awkward church. We're awkward people. Apparently Jesus loves awkward people because his churches are full of them. Pursue somebody in Christ. Secondly, make plans. Plan your margins. Don't expect that you can do this with a life that's worked out the way you think your life is going to work out, where you give yourself not even a minute. So plan some margins. Pursue somebody else and be flexible. When the plans fall apart, give it. Give it up. Trust in Christ. Give Jesus permission to just rip your plans up. And be led by the Spirit of God in the moment, right? As we do this together, we will grow in our understanding of what it means to be the people of God. That's what Jesus wants for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Um, I thank you that following you doesn't mean that by my own power I will achieve perfection. Jesus, I am hanging on. We are hanging on to your good work. So I thank you for that, Lord. I pray that you would teach us and lead us, help us to respond in faith, help us to love each other like this, Lord. Help us to be a family, love like you, Lord Jesus. And I pray that we see your grace in action in our lives. This is your desire for us. And we lift this up in the name of Christ. Amen.
this time we're going to have our history board. Um, as I mentioned before, you should go ahead and provide 